uh, not very many people uh, successfully make the transition from government to Wall Street banking, you know, let alone to become the CEO of a real firm. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, January 5th. Today, I'm joined by Bill Cohan to talk about his professional alma mater, Lazard, and its new CEO, Peter Orzag, one of few bank leaders who went from politics over to Wall Street, and what Orzag plans to do at the storied investment firm. Bill also gives me his take on the Biden economy and why voters aren't giving the president credit for all the positive economic news out there. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. We are cruising into the first weekend of 2024. I'm joined today by Bill Cohan to talk about his banking alma mater, Lazard, and their new-ish CEO, Peter Orzog, who that name might ring familiar to people who've been following politics for a long time. He was Barack Obama's OMB director at the tender age of 40. Uh, he's, he's always been a comer, as they say. Bill, Welcome to the show. It's great to see you. Happy New Year. And to you. So before getting into what Peter Orzog's tenure as CEO of Lazard uh, has been like so far in these short few months, why was this interesting to you that he became CEO of Lazard? And where does Lazard fit in the ecosystem of these you know, notable Wall Street banks, the Morgan Stanleys and the JP Morgans, et cetera? And what's the culture there like? Well, I mean, you know, pretty much everything uh, that happens at Lazard uh, is still interesting to me, uh, Peter, because, <laughs> uh, you know, I worked there for six years. I wrote my first book about it, so, you know, which was a history of the firm. So I have an ongoing uh, interest now. You know, Peter, you know, what's interesting about, about Peter, I mean, first of all, it was a relatively calm uh, transfer of power, which, you know, if people read the Lazard book, they'll see that that has actually been fairly rare. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's been, uh, you know, a public company since uh, what, 2006. And there's only, uh, there was uh, Bruce Wasserstein who took it public and then he died in October of 2009, uh, unexpectedly uh, after lunch one day. Uh, and then Ken Jacobs became uh, the CEO. He's been the CEO uh, since uh, then till uh, this past October when he uh, anointed Peter. Uh, as you said, Peter, uh, you know, Peter's like a, a supernova. I mean, like that whole family is filled with supernovas. His father was uh, an incredibly accomplished, uh, you know, a mathematician. Uh, his brother uh, is also, his younger brother is also an accomplished uh, economist, uh, 
Peter has his PhD uh, uh, from the London School of Economics, uh, was, as you said, uh, Obama's OMB director when he was 40. Uh, not very many people uh, successfully make the transition from government to Wall Street banking, uh, mm-hmm. let alone... Usually it goes the other way. They become uh, the governor of New Jersey or something like that. Or <laughs> treasury secretary. Uh, That's right. Uh, you know, let alone make it to the CEO of a, of, of a, to become the CEO of a real firm. So, uh, you know, you got to give uh, Peter a lot of credit uh, for getting this far. You know, he uh, also uh, it seems uh, you know quite uh, savvy and uh, personable, uh, which uh, is not uh, typical for uh, Lazard uh, bankers. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, he's just uh, you know a very interesting guy to begin with, and then the fact that he became the CEO of uh, one of my favorite firms, one of my uh, former employers, uh, and the fact that you know Lazard, I think you know at 175 years old now, is one of the oldest still uh, uh, existing firms on Wall Street um, with an incredible rich history. And, you know, it's certainly lost some of its luster. And the question is, can Peter restore that? And so that's what I was trying to explore. So he was kind enough to give you a, a call over the holidays while he was traveling with his family. Mm-hmm. Lazard's had a, a pretty good last few months revenue-wise. But, you know, the, the markets have been up. A lot of people have had a good few months. What are his goals for the bank? Like, what's he going to change about it? What Does he have any targets that he told you about? Yeah, he's got this like manifesto that he's uh, published called Lazard 2030, where he hopes to double revenue and uh, make bankers more productive and make bankers more collegial and call out the Deadwood, uh, restore some of the luster to the firm, all of which uh, are certainly admirable uh, goals. Uh, a lot easier to put it in a PowerPoint presentation than to actually make it happen. Uh, Wall Street firms are filled with large uh, ego uh, people, uh, and you know, th- you know, they don't necessarily respond uh, perfectly well to uh, exhortations from above. Although, if you make their compensation dependent on their behavior, it's amazing what they can uh, change. <laughs> You know, Lazard, of course, has never been a particularly collegial place for him to introduce collegiality uh, as one of the criteria upon which he's going to pay people is certainly very interesting. Yeah, look, I, I, you know, I wish him luck. He's uh, very personable uh, and uh, ambitious and energetic guy. Uh, uh, I think he's, you know, a breath of fresh air uh, uh, from the days of Ken Jacobs. Uh, And so, uh, you know, I think the market has responded. The stock's up about 25% since he took over. But as you point out, the whole sector and the whole markets were up uh, uh, demonstrably in the fourth quarter of last year. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what whether he can uh, turn this, uh, you know, little uh, feisty little destroyer uh, around uh, or whether, uh, you know, it'll sort of fade away, you know, into obscurity. It's in sort of one of those places where it's, you know, too big to be small, but way too small to be big. So it could get gobbled up. I doubt it's going to do a whole lot of acquisitions itself. So, um, you know, we'll see. Bill, I want to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about the perception of the Biden economy versus the reality.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back to The Powers of Be, everybody. Uh, Bill, I wrote a few weeks ago for Puck about President Biden's challenge on the economy heading into this year, 2024. We're here. It's an election year. That, look, there are so many good economic trend lines out there that the the Biden White House is pulling their hair out about. You know, gas prices are under $3 around the country as of this week. Unemployment continues to fall. Inflation is down. But, you know, the sentiment from consumers and voters, you know, ever since inflation started to pop a year ago, a year or two ago, is, you know, that the economy sucks. And this really, you know, flusters Biden advisors. Um, you know, maybe Biden himself has a challenge communicating these things. He's not not been a great communicator over the years. You know, one thing I wrote about, too, is amid, you know, whatever economic indicator you choose, uh, GDP, manufacturing, like these are all Washington sort of jargony topics that don't really land with regular people. The thing that regular people notice every day are prices, gas prices, but, you know, grocery prices, things like that. Um, some prices have come down. Others haven't come down and others are going up. And that to me feels like how people are experiencing the economy just with their their pocketbooks. I mean, it's it's not that complicated. Um, but I'm curious what, what you're take on all this is the pessimism in this country around the economy versus the reality. Where do you come down on it? Yeah, I, I completely uh, agree with you, uh, Peter. I think I was, uh, I went on CNN with John Berman, you know, a couple months ago, one, you know, in one 11 o'clock segment, and he was asking me about the economy. And I said, uh, you know, the economy is surprisingly good. And I don't understand why the American people are so grumpy about it. They're just in a grumpy <laughs> mood generally. Uh, and that I don't know why Biden's not getting more credit for, uh, you know, an economy that's much better than anybody thought he could possibly uh, manage it. And, of course, I got, you know, lambasted on on Twix for it. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I think it's still the case right now, or three or four months later. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, uh, as you pointed out, Biden has not been a good communicator uh, about anything, really. I mean, he just does. That's not a strength of his. That's, uh, he doesn't mm -hmm. like giving speeches, apparently. He doesn't like doing press uh, interviews. And, and, you know, on the other side, you've got this you know, total and utter buffoon uh, and likely convicted felon 
uh, who uh, loves uh, the camera, loves the limelight, and just is willing to say incredibly outrageous things. And people, uh, you know, prefer to believe him, or a lot of people prefer to believe him. Uh, you know, he even said the other day, which really got me laughing, uh, that um, the reason the stock market is uh, at an all-time high, even though he said if, if when Biden was president that it wouldn't be, you know, it would it would collapse. The reason the stock market is at a whole high, time high is because uh, voters are anticipating that Trump will be reelected in November, and that's why uh, uh, the stock market uh, has gone up so much uh, under Biden. Uh, you know, he says things like this, which are you know uh, just on any number of incredibly outrageous things that the guy says on a daily basis. Uh, why people believe him? Why they want him? To be their Republican nominee, why you know he could conceivably be reelected uh, after all that he's done uh, wrong to you know humiliate our country, uh, to destroy our economy, and that Biden has had to essentially uh, re- you know reposition and do course correction on, uh, much to his um, considerable achievement, uh, and why he's unable to not only uh, take. Achieve, you know, take that achievement and broadcast that. But why the, so many of the American people don't see it is, you know, is beyond me, Peter. I, 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 I really don't understand so much about what's gone on in this country since that buffoon came down the escalator in June of 2015. That's, you know, almost nine years ago now. It's shocking Ugh. to me. It's called motivated reasoning, Bill. You pick your team and everything else flows from whatever jersey you're wearing. You think the economy's bad if uh, the other guy's in office, and it's good when your guy's in there. It's uh, it's it's pretty pretty dumb. Um, <laughs> but I mean, he added uh, Trump added seven trillion dollars to the national debt and acts like uh, you know he, he reduced it by seven trillion dollars, and that's I could go on and on. As yeah, as much as I say or like to say that, you know, a lot of voters out there are smart. You know, the the lack of long-term memory on the part of the electorate is uh, something that rears its head every four years, that's for sure. Bill, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you on Monday. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.